wonderful friends, welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. Uh, This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. This week, our big questions. Did Jesus really exist? Is Jesus more than just a great moral teacher? Did he really rise from the dead? Does the resurrection matter? Is Jesus the only way to salvation? Our co-host today is brand new to our studio, Len Hennig. You may have heard Len on Faith FM presenting Give Me the Bible. Welcome, Len. (laughs) Yes, I'm glad to be here and hello, listeners. It's fantastic to have you in our studio today. Well, thank you very much. It's wonderful to have an experienced presenter with us today. Oh, I don't know if I'm that experienced. Only six years. Only six years. Uh, Len, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I am... You're currently retired? I am sort of retired. I still have a business. Mm -hmm. I have been a school teacher for about 30 years and married to my first wife still. Fantastic. And we have three children, all adults now. And I enjoy sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. With it's, other people. it's a wonderful blessing, isn't it? You know, I know that uh, you love producing Give Me the Bible and presenting that on, on Faith FM. Tell us, what is Give Me the Bible? Well, Give Me the Bible is really a look at various subjects to, uh, with a Bible perspective, a biblical mm-hmm. perspective, because there are lots of things that people believe which I regard as totally false. And I try to present it from a Bible, pers- biblical perspective, sorry mm-hmm. for the mistake there, uh, so that people really know what's truth and what's not. I've noticed that you, uh, you present a lot of very uh, contemporary, relevant subjects. Oh, yes. After all, it's got to be meaningful to those who indeed, listen. Indeed, indeed. So that's actually an intention of yours? Oh, yes. Okay, okay. Yes. What what was it? Why did you decide to produce Give Me the Bible? Well, the short answer is I was asked okay. if I would like to help. Somebody else was producing programs, and they put out an appeal one time for somebody to help because it can be very time-demanding. Mm-hmm. We were overseas uh, for a while, and while overseas I bought a book for children, how the Bible was made. And this gave me an idea about a program. Uh So when we came back from overseas, I said to this other person, I'm putting my hand up to help. And that's where Give Me the Bible started. And how many episodes have you created to this point? Well, I'm up to number 298. Wow, you are an experienced presenter then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. 
<laughs> I enjoy it. Len, it's wonderful to have someone in their retirement who's doing such a wonderful, a wonderful ministry. Thank you so much for what you are actually doing. Uh, guys, let's come to, uh, to some music. Uh, love this particular song. The Easter Hymns Band from Heaven You Came, The Servant King. Uh, this is a, a powerful song. This matches the theme of the week. Uh, may the Lord bless each of you. From heaven you came, help us Enter our world, your glory veiled. Not to be served, but to serve. And give your life that we might live. This is our God, the servant king. to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with Pastor Gary our co-host today is Len Hennig Len is the Faith FM presenter of Give Me the Bible 298 episodes what a fantastic contribution this week we're asking did God really did Jesus really exist did Jesus 
become more than just a great moral teacher? Did he really rise from the dead? We're dealing with that question today. Does the resurrection matter anyway? Is Jesus the only way to salvation? Before we move to our question today, I must share an update on world religious trends. You know, my friends, the religious world, it's changing before our eyes. These are trends that can't be ignored. One of the really big trends is the move away from the biblical family structure. One of the long-time advocates to the advocates is Family Voice Australia. Really appreciate the ministry of this group. Well, I'd like to have a really big welcome today to uh, David DeLima. Uh, David's the South Australian State Director for Family Voice Australia. Uh, welcome, David. It is fantastic to have you in the studio. Thank you, Gary. It's a pleasure to be reconnecting with you after uh, several years of absence. <laughs> and and it is really good to be able to touch base again. I'm just so conscious of the really good work that you're actually involved in and uh, to have you in the studio today is a real privilege and uh, a real blessing. Well thanks Gary, it's great to be here. David, tell us a little bit about yourself. Now what's your work background David? Well I I started off really as a youth worker um, some 35 years ago Mm -hmm. and working with homeless boys, most of whom were in trouble with the police. So we ran a house for about five young men who were in need and that was a very difficult time of my life to be working with those guys but a great privilege and I learned a lot about human nature I think Mm -hmm. because uh, Mm -hmm. once you really start to go to where the rubber hits the road you really understand how family dynamics work or sometimes don't work yeah it's a it's an increasing challenge that we're facing in our society today, isn't it? You know, a lot of the uh, young men, young young ladies who are who are actually growing up, and they're they're really growing up on the streets in in many cases. Yes, they are. Uh, and all of the young people that we were dealing with had family difficulties, shall we say? Mm. Uh, sometimes mm. single parenting, sometimes just uh, tension and difficulties in the home. Yeah. Uh, we had one boy who was sixteen. He didn't even know where his parents were. He didn't know whether they were dead or alive yeah so yeah. tragic yeah, and you, you really understand don't you that you know some people don't have that the blessing of a stable a background and the challenges that that actually produces in their lives indeed indeed and our thoughts and prayers are with any of the listeners who may be in difficult circumstances uh, there may be single parents who are listening there may be young yeah. people who are yeah. detached from their family blessing to be upon them and we pray that he will touch them wherever they're at. Now tell us, David, now, who is Family Voice Australia? Yes. Yes, we're a Christian ministry, mm-hmm. and we've been serving the Lord for many years. The work began in the early 1970s in Britain. Mm-hmm. The listeners will know the names uh, Cliff Richard, Malcolm Muggeridge, possibly mm-hmm. Mary Whitehouse. Uh, back in the day, uh, things were starting to get very dark in the Western world. Mm. The Christian faith was being despised, mm. and all sorts of rubbish was happening. There was a breakdown of family and a breakdown of values and so it was Malcolm Muggeridge that famous atheist who mm-hmm. we changed the name a couple of years back because people were yeah, still yeah. a voice for the family it's actually a very good name actually family voice Australia uh, tell me where does the majority of your supporter base come from these days yes yes we have good connections with all sorts of churches including mm-hmm. the Adventist movement and I've enjoyed speaking in many Adventist congregations over the years mm. uh, so we basically rely on 
on the Lord's provision through his people in various congregations to support what we're doing. Okay, that's fantastic. So now I'm really intrigued by the by the name and of course that means that we have to come to come to ask you the family. Mm. How would you define the family? I'm really conscious that the traditional definition of the family has really changed a great deal mm. in in recent times. Yeah. How would you actually define the family. Yeah, this is a very good point, Gary, because families have been changing and mm. people are in situations often of not of their own making mm. and they're still family and mm. we, we appreciate that, we mm. accept that. But we also believe in ideals. Mm. We believe that God has established a certain pattern Okay. and without judging anyone who's not in that ideal pattern, it's still good for us all to have ideals. Okay, okay. So the ideal is a man and a woman who will covenant in marriage mm-hmm. uh, and be faithful to each other and that will be the context in which they would raise children. Okay. So we would add to that also people who are adopted. Um, so we speak about the natural family, and by that we mean mother and father in covenanted unity, raising their children naturally and any adopted children that they have as well. Okay, so you're wanting to advocate uh, on behalf of the, uh, the, the traditional family, which of course has its basis in the book of Genesis, doesn't it? It does, yes. Jesus yeah. said, for this reason, and he's talking about the difference between male and female, yeah. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, mm. the two will become one flesh. Yeah. So Jesus said, have you not understood what it was at the beginning? Yeah. If only we could go back to creation, Gary, Indeed. we would find ourselves Indeed. in a lot less hot water. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm so, and you know, so many times, even within Scripture itself, I think of, uh, you know, biblical characters who have uh, gone against the biblical ideal. Mm. And, you know, I think even David. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And uh, so what we're dealing with today is what is the family ideal? And I, I really appreciate that, uh, uh, that, uh, that statement that you do actually, that you do actually make there. It's right at the beginning of the Old Testament. It's also right at the end, of course, in the book of Malachi, where God speaks about a man and woman uniting together in marriage, faithful mm. marriage, because God is seeking godly offspring. The virtue of marriage, one of the virtues is its ability to nurture the next generation. Why government needs to understand the virtue of marriage, the value of marriage. Unfortunately, we've uh, been recently redefining marriage itself. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, if governments think they can do that, then they can do anything. So that's a real concern. Yeah, yeah. And I think you actually make a very good point um, at that uh, in making that statement because once you start to come into the area of government policy, and that's where I think the rubber really hits the road here because mm-hmm. when government policy uh, does actually start to, to legislate policy, Policy that moves, I suppose, uh, um, a long way and uh, discourage even the traditional family. Correct. Uh, that that can actually have huge implications on site society itself. Huge, huge, because the law is a teacher. Mm. The scripture speaks about the law being a guardian or a tutor for us. Mm. Law has an inherently educative function. Mm. That means that when the law changes, our thinking changes, our mm-hmm. behaviour changes. Mm-hmm. So it's a very important that we get our laws right. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's good. Uh, t- tell me, uh, David, what are the major, s- you know, social, political, legislative issues that are that are impacting on the traditional family uh, in the 2020s? Yes, yes. Well, it's really uh, marriage, which we've we've lost that battle, but I hope we can perhaps win that back one day. Interestingly and tragically, our churches have lost. 
lost custody of marriage, even though the definition has changed. We, we've also lost market share, so mm. we need to seriously seek the Lord. I'd like to dig matter. that, dig into that with you at some some future Indeed. point, because I think you make a, a really valid point there. Indeed. So we we've lost custody of marriage, but also we're losing traction in relation to the life issues. So mm. uh, abortion laws are being changed across the nation, and euthanasia is coming through in several jurisdictions, it seems. So mm. these are very serious departures from the traditional culture that we've enjoyed. Yeah, that, that euthanasia one is a really significant one because I'm I'm so conscious that as a minister of religion, I actually uh, work a lot with people who are working in through end-of-life type uh, type issues, and uh, I'm I'm conscious that many maybe haven't thought through all the all the issues that are actually involved in that particular matter. Uh, do you have any any thoughts on the discrimination issues? Because you know, increasingly, I'm conscious that even you know the family is being impacted by anti-discrimination type legislation. Correct. Uh, the situation we're in now is that if you voice your view, you can be in trouble. Mm. Now, it used to be the case that you could explain your view, you'd have a right to say it. Others might vigorously disagree, but now people are afraid to speak because mm. they can find themselves hauled before anti-discrimination tribunals. Mm. So this shuts down social debate and it mm. shuts down the proclamation of the truth mm. and that's not good for society. No, that, that's a very challenging challenging thought and I would like to also dig into that particular matter with you a little bit further down the road. Like, where are the major um, jurisdictions where that is occurring? Yes, uh, it's happening particularly in New South Wales. Okay. Uh, and uh, there's one particular activist there who found himself in trouble recently with the legal system because he was overreaching. And so, thank God, people are starting to realise yeah. this has gone too far and it needs to be dealt with. Yeah, yeah. So while we certainly need anti-discrimination law, uh, there are actually boundaries that once you actually move beyond those boundaries, you can actually create problems in the opposite direction. Yes, that's right. Uh, part of the difficulty is the way that anti-discrimination law works. It seems to presume that you're guilty and you've got to prove your innocence, mm-hmm. which is a complete inversion of what we've always understood in our yeah, culture. Yeah. But it also means that there's a contraction on free speech. Very serious departure from what, what we've received. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Really do appreciate their input. I, I hope in the future we're able to uh, hear from you again. Yeah, look forward to that, Gary. Thank you so much, David. Blessings on you.
Can you trust the Bible? How could a loving God create a devil? How can a man called Jesus save me? And from what? Faith FM's free offer today is the Hidden Truth magazine, exploring your hard questions about faith and Christianity. To get your free Hidden Truth magazine, go to faithfm.com.au forward slash offers or call us on 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. That's a fantastic a little magazine. It deals with some of the biggest questions that people ask. And can I encourage you, uh, please, if you haven't uh, subscribed to a magazine before, uh, have a look at that one. It's really worth your time. Uh, you're listening to Faith FM, Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Our co-host today is Len Hennig, Len's the Faith FM presenter of Give Me the Bible. And this week we're asking, did Jesus really exist? Uh, is Jesus more than just a great moral teacher? We dealt with that question yesterday. Today we're asking the question, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Does the matter, does the resurrection matter is what we're going to ask tomorrow. And then on Friday we're asking, is Jesus the only way to salvation? These are big questions. These are questions that challenge people's thinking. Let's come to our big question for today. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? You know, according to Paul, if it didn't happen, Christianity is false and we're all wasting our time. But help us out here, Len. What's your thinking? Did Jesus, what's the evidence? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Well, I believe there are six evidences that Jesus did rise from the dead. Mm. Um, there doesn't seem to be any question in Christian circles that Jesus died because if he didn't die as you were saying before about the resurrection well it would Christianity would just be a waste of time and this was some of the stuff that we actually looked at uh, yesterday and the day before and we looked at some of that remarkable evidence that was actually out there for the existence of Jesus Christ uh, and yesterday for the fact that he appeared he is he is a more than a great moral teacher there's something divine about him as well but I, today it's the resurrection yes i firmly believe the resurrection happened, and the resurrection was a supernatural event mm. because people just do not rise from the dead. One of the uh, key things about this is on Sunday morning after the Sabbath, because these people were Jews, they kept the Sabbath like we do, mm. uh, and they didn't do any work that day. And the preparation of Jesus for burial was not complete. He had been covered in ointment and some grave cloths had been put around him and so on. But uh, it needed more done. The women got down to the uh, sepulchre first. And when they got there, they were rather surprised because... There were some angels present. Now, one of the gospel writers says there were two, and others say there were one. And the angel said, he is not here. He is risen. If you want to read about this, listeners, it's in Matthew chapter 28, verse 6. Well, could somebody have come in the night, either Friday night or Saturday night, and stolen the body? 
That is certainly a claim that was made back even in Christ's day, and there's even those today who might make the, the same claim. Oh, yes. Well, there's some uh, suggestions, no evidences, not just mere suggestions, that that would have been an impossibility for two reasons. Number one, when Jesus was placed into the tomb, a large stone was rolled across the entrance. Now, it wasn't just rolled across. It was sealed. And how was it sealed? It wasn't just put a a piece of wax on there with a ring from the Roman emperor or something like that. There was a metal band put in front of the stone and fastened into the rock face. To open that sepulchre would require some strong men and also the authority of the Romans because it was under their auspices that Jesus was put in that tomb. Mm. There's a second reason. The Jews were afraid that Jesus might resurrect. Because, because, because this, was the, uh, this is what he had said he was actually going to do. Yes, yeah. and he had, in his time when he was ministering here, on planet Earth raised a number of people from death to life. So the Jews went to the the Romans and they said, look, we want to make sure that he doesn't get out. And so... Isn't that interesting, Len, that um, you've got a dead man. He's been certified dead by the Roman centurion, and these guys were specialists in making sure that dead people were really dead. And yet, just to make sure that a dead man can't escape, you actually do something absolutely remarkable. Okay, well, in Matthew 27 at verse 65, the Bible says, uh, this is a reply from Pilate to the Jews, take a guard, Pilate answered, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. Now, did you notice the wording? Make it as secure as you know how. In other words, to do what is necessary Mm. to make sure that Jesus didn't get out. Well, they secured the tomb, as I said before, but there was a guard posted, not just a single person, at least four and maybe a whole lot more. We don't know. So... Jesus wasn't in the tomb on Sunday morning. The angels had said, he's not here. He hasn't, they didn't say, he's not here, he's disappeared. They said something else. He is risen. Mm. He's resurrected. Well, another thing which is very, very interesting in this particular study, this subject, is that uh, when the people went into the tomb, the women and the disciples, Peter and John, they noticed that the grave clothes were neatly folded. Now, if somebody came to steal Jesus' body against those impossible security arrangements... 
they would have grabbed him and run off as fast as they could. Mm. But no, these grave clothes were neatly folded and Jesus' body wasn't there. Mm. There's a third point. The Bible records about the disciples and others who were in the presence of Jesus after the resurrection. And the Apostle Peter puts it quite clearly and says that he and others were eyewitnesses. You can read that in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. That's actually a very powerful statement, isn't it, Len? Because what you actually have here is uh, people claiming that we saw these things take place. And this was one of the things we actually looked at yesterday and certainly uh, on, on Monday as well, as we looked at the reality that there were eyewitnesses that continually uh, saw or, and recorded what was occurring in New Testament days. Yes, and they spent time with him yeah. afterwards. Yeah. yeah. The fourth point I would like to make here is about the Christian faith. Since that time, right up until modern times, there are millions of people worldwide who believe that Jesus was resurrected. Mm. Now, either they're fools or they're right. Why would people put themselves out to just believe in a myth? In fact, if we read about what happened during the Dark and Middle Ages, millions of people, maybe up to 150 million, mm. people died because they refused to accept a different doctrine than what they believed that Jesus had died for their sins and resurrected. Mm. Now, if they were martyred, killed, some of them burnt alive, some of them had their heads cut off, all sorts of terrible things, not suitable for this program today, Gary. <laughs> uh, they, they were so convinced that Jesus resurrected that they were prepared to put their own lives on the line because of that belief. And I'm amongst those who believe that Jesus resurrected. Mm. Well, there's another very interesting thing, too. If you don't accept what the Bible says about Jesus' resurrection and the um, Bible writers, including the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, and some of the other apostles, there are some secular sources which also claim that Jesus was resurrected. He was seen after his death, uh, after his resurrection, rather. One of the more um, important ones is Josephus. He was a first-century Jewish historian. Mm. And in the uh, book, which he calls Testimonium Flavanium, this is what he actually said. Translated, of course. My Latin is not particularly not good. particularly good. <laughs> so I'm translating. He wrote, About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he wrought surprising feats. He was the Christ. 
When Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared, restored to life, and the tribe of Christians has not disappeared. It's interesting he called Christians a tribe, but Mm. these days it would be a pretty big tribe, I should think. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Another historian, Tacitus, he was a Roman historian, he also verified that Christ was resurrected. And, you know, Len, the amazing thing that I find about these secular historians is that they actually had nothing to gain. Neither of those two, Tacitus or Josephus, neither of them were uh, Christians in in practice. In fact, Tacitus was a person who despised Christianity. And, you know, when I actually have a secular source from a person who's despising Christianity, she Caring about the reality of Jesus Christ, I've got to sit up and take notice. In a, I think of Josephus. Josephus certainly wasn't a Christian. He was a uh, he was a Jew who had gone across to the uh, uh, to the Romans, and yet even he makes some remarkable statements concerning Jesus Christ. And again, he wasn't a Christian. And to me, it's when somebody out there who isn't a Christian, isn't a believer in any particular belief, make statements about that belief that I've got to sit up and start to take notice and say, hey, there's something going on here. I think it's very powerful what you're saying. Yes, well, when somebody has a bias one way or the other, it usually shows. It does. It does. And in these two cases, they did not have a bias toward Christianity. Mm. Well, there's another very important thing here, I believe, and this is the sixth point I wish to make today. Various sceptics have postulated that Jesus wasn't really dead when he was buried. They say he was only unconscious and dormant. Therefore, they say he never resurrected. Well, I just want to share a few things here with you, Gary. Prior to the crucifixion, Jesus was completely exhausted. He'd been up all night, was bleeding from the flogging he received, was covered in blood. On the way to Calvary, carrying the cross, he collapsed. Mm. Somebody else had to carry the cross. While hanging from the cross, he bled from his hands and feet, and he could hardly breathe. Mm. Then, when the Roman soldiers thought he was dead, they got a spear and they shoved it through his side. Interestingly, uh, if you see pictures drawn by Roman Catholic artists, the spear is shoved in on the right side. Protestants, Protestant artists draw the spear having been poked in on the left side. I didn't realise that. (laughs) Oh, yes, it was pointed out to me in Italy a couple of years ago. Anyhow, the spear was thrust into his side, into his heart, and blood and a watery substance flowed out. Now, I don't know how anybody could survive that, but we're not quite finished yet. Mm. The Roman soldiers pronounced him dead. And the usual practice was to break the legs of anybody who was being crucified 
if they were not quite dead when the time that the soldiers went to go off their shift. They came to Jesus, they saw he was dead, they didn't break his legs. All right. Okay. I think this is, before you just uh, just move on, because you're sharing some important material here. Uh, do you know, one of the things that stands out to me is what we've got here is a Roman centurion who is a specialist in killing people. That's what these soldiers actually did. Yes. When the Roman centurion certifies that a person is dead, it's actually the equivalent of any medical practitioner today mm. certifying that a person is in fact dead. The people, they may not have been able to raise people from the dead. Only Jesus was able to do that. But, you know, they certainly were able to kill people and they certainly knew when a person was dead. They knew their craft well. They knew their craft well. Well, now, assuming that Jesus wasn't dead, was taken down from the cross, put in the tomb. How? What sort of condition was he in? As I said before, he was completely exhausted. All this had happened. His hands and his feet were mangled mm. with these big iron spikes that had been hammered through them. What would the chances be of him getting up and walking around They'd be pretty low. Mm. And then have to push that big stone out of the way, which was secured to the wall mm. by an iron band. You'd have to be a miracle man to do that. You know, there's another thing. As far as I'm concerned, the Bible is the best source of information. Mm. The Bible is a trustworthy book. Critics have said that the Bible is going to disappear. I believe Voltaire, a French philosopher, said the Bible will be gone in a hundred years. Well, Voltaire's gone, but the Bible's still around. Yeah. And I believe that the Bible is an, gives an accurate report. Uh, I'd like to just share this from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's writing about the resurrection and he said, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who've fallen asleep. Mm. For since death came through one man, that's Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive but each to his, in his own turn. Mm. Christ, the first fruits, and when he comes, those who belong to him. Just as a parting uh, comment here, Gary, if there were no resurrection, Christianity would be a waste of time, but worse than that, it would be a fake, a deception. And this, and this is probably the most significant point, and it's certainly the point that the great apostle Paul does actually make. And I just wonder, we're going to talk about it tomorrow, but I just wonder if we can talk about it. Let's have some music, and then we'll come back, uh, in, because I'd like to pick up on that particular point, because I think it is actually so absolutely vital that we do deal with that point that you're making there. Let's come and uh, uh, listen to this song. This is Fountain View uh, Academy and Orchestra, and the song is Champion of Love. 
Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention? I want to introduce to you In this corner of the good and the right Stands a champion robed in white His height exceeds the heavens His weight outweighs the world His reach reaches everywhere His age is You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Our co-host today is Len Hennig. Len is the Faith FM presenter of Give Me the Bible. This week we're looking at big questions concerning Jesus. Did Jesus really exist? Is Jesus more than a great moral teacher? Today we're looking at did he really rise from the dead tomorrow does the resurrection matter? And then on Friday, we're going to finish up with, is Jesus the only way to salvation? 
today that question that we're concentrating on len thank you so much for what you've uh, you've shared uh, please bring it all together for us well i was saying just before the break if there were no resurrection christianity would be a waste of time it would also be a fake mm. a deception mm. but jesus did rise from the dead because god is the life giver and has the power over the death and life. Mm. But if there were no resurrection, then there would be absolutely no point in Jesus sacrificing his life to save us from our sins. He would be no better as a saviour than a dead cat. But he did rise, and people for years and years and years, millions of people, have uh, set their lives by that very thing. And I mentioned the martyrs before. There are about 50,000 people around the world currently in prison because of their faith in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and they want to be with him when he Mm. comes again. Mm. So if we are to die and never live again, Jesus' death would be in vain. Our efforts in following and serving him would all be in vain. Our attempts to make the world a better place would be in vain. What we do to be good citizens would be in vain. And loving our neighbour and trying to live a good life would all be in vain. Mm. The resurrection of Jesus is equally as important as the death of Jesus. Mm. He gave his life to save us from our sins. But if that's where it stopped, it's a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Len, one of the uh, things I'm really conscious of is that certainly the resurrection is something that could almost be argued to be more important if that was possible than the death of Christ himself. Do you know, I'm conscious that throughout the centuries, as you correctly point out, there have been literally millions of people who have died for their faith. It would be very easy to put Christ into that same category as being a worthy person who died for his faith. And yet I'm so conscious that those people who died for their faith There are none that at this particular point have been resurrected. But Jesus was the one who was resurrected. You know, I I look at this issue of the resurrection because um, uh, the the, the transformation that was actually occurred in the the life and the times of of the disciples. You know, we had the disciples before the resurrection they were they were a discouraged group of people they were hiding away in a in an upper room they didn't want to be seen by those on the outside they're hopeless they're fearful but then after the crucifixion they changed into men who are confident they are bold they are outgoing they've got a message they just have to share do you know, Len, that really says something to me, doesn't it? It does too, yes. I mean, to actually take on something that is probably going to take cost your life 
means that something caused that transition to actually occur in their lives. Eleven of the twelve died unnatural deaths. Mm. They were murdered. Mm. Uh, The only one who died a natural death was the Apostle John. Now, for people to forsake their livelihood, to go and teach a message or preach a message around the world at the risk of their own lives, it seems a bit silly. You would have to be convinced in your own mind to do that, which they did, and it cost them their lives. You don't die for things that are not true, do you? You know, if you've just made a story up, you're a rather silly person to stick to the story to the point of dying, but not just dying a natural death, but rather to die a death that are quite painful and unnatural in their form. That, to me, is something that really stands out to me. Yes, they have to be totally convinced to go through with that. I believe the Apostle Peter died also on a cross, but upside down. Mm. He didn't think he was worthy to die with his head up. He died with his head down. Others had their heads cut off, and others were put to death by the sword. To go through that, you really have to be convinced that what you're believing is true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know, Len, the, the passage that you read earlier, I think, is, is so important that we pick up just in, in closing. And that's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse, verse 20. Because what you get here is, is a passage. The great apostle uh, Paul, he's writing and he says this, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, Len, what does that mean? What is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep? Well, just use the uh, agricultural meaning. The first fruits are the first ones. There are many more to follow. Yeah. And Jesus was the first fruits, if you like, to be resurrected. And that was really, uh, that. what Paul wrote is really a sort of a promise because those who believe in Christ accept his substitutionary sacrifice for them who believe in the resurrection can look forward to being resurrected themselves. And that, to me, is the ultimate promise of the New Testament. You know, I, I know myself as a, as a pastor, I've, I've actually buried many people. And on many graves, I've actually read these particular passages but do you know the thing that and the thing that really stands out to me is that what Paul is saying here is what happened to Christ can also happen to you. And you know, I, for our for our listeners, I'm just so conscious that there may be some who sort of have, who think, what hope is there in the future? You know, Paul here is so he's almost dogmatic. He says the. The, uh, the the resurrection of Christ, uh, that's the thing that has become first fruit. That's become the evidence of all that's going to happen after in our own lives. I love this particular picture. I think that this is saying something to us that's incredibly powerful. Uh, Christ was resurrected from the dead 
so may we be resurrected from the dead. I recommend, listeners, that you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, mm. where we've, um, we're commenting on. And the Apostle Paul has written more about the occasion when the saints are raised from the dead. Mm. And at the end of the chapter... He says, when the perishable, that means that which can die, has been clothed with the imperishable, that which cannot die, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Mm. And then there's a little comment, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Jesus was resurrected. He promised to come back to collect those who were faithful to him and they too will be resurrected never ever to have to die again. Mm. Len, let me, let me pray if I can because I'd love to pray for our listeners. Father in heaven, Lord we come to you right now because we want to say thank you that you are the God who sent your son. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ. Yes. Lord, thank you for, for giving him to us, to us who were in need. Lord, but thank you also that when he died, he was raised from the dead. Lord, thank you that that is indeed the first fruits. That's an indicator of everything that can happen for us. Lord, I just want to pray for our, our listeners right now. Lord, if there's anybody there who's, who's struggling, maybe they're struggling with death, maybe they're struggling with, a, uh, with an issue that is, um, uh, that is impacting their life at this time. Lord, I just want to pray for that person right now. Lord, I pray that you might indeed touch them. Lord, I pray that you might touch them by your power. Lord, by that power that was able to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. I pray, Lord, that you might touch hearts and minds. Lord, we just give ourselves again to you at this time, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my friends, it does look like our, our time is up for today. Thanks so much for joining Pastor Gary and Len Hennig and Drive Time Big Q&A. Tomorrow, we dig more into why the resurrection is so much more than just theology. Tomorrow we look at the wonderful relevance of this teaching. Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you 